This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to find out how you can volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Little Lame Prince by Miss Mullock. Chapter 5 If any reader, big or little, should wonder whether there is a meaning in this story deeper than that of an ordinary fairy tale, I will own that there is. But I have hidden it so carefully that the smaller people, and many larger folk, will never find it out, and meantime the book may be read straight on, like Cinderella, or Bluebeard, or Hop o' My Thumb, for what interest it has, or what amusement it may bring. Having said this, I return to Prince Dolor, that little lame boy whom many may think so exceedingly to be pitied. But if you had seen him as he sat patiently untying his wonderful cloak, which was done up in a very tight and perplexing parcel, using skillfully his deft little hands, and knitting his brows with firm determination, while his eyes glistened with pleasure and energy and eager anticipation, if you had beheld him thus, you might have changed your opinion. When we see people suffering or unfortunate, we feel very sorry for them, but when we see them bravely bearing their sufferings and making the best of their misfortunes, it is quite a different feeling. We respect, we admire them. One can respect and admire even a little child. When Prince Dolor had patiently untied all the knots, a remarkable thing happened. The cloak began to undo itself. Slowly unfolding, it laid itself down on the carpet, as flat as if it had been ironed. The split joined with a little sharp crack-crack and the rim turned up all round till it was breast-high. For meantime the cloak had grown and grown, and become quite large enough for one person to sit in it as comfortable as if in a boat. The prince watched it rather anxiously. It was such an extraordinary, not to say a frightening, thing. However, he was no coward, but a thorough boy who, if he had been like other boys, would doubtless have grown up daring and adventurous, a soldier, a sailor, or the like. As it was, he could only show his courage morally, not physically, by being afraid of nothing, and by doing boldly all that was in his narrow powers to do. And I am not sure but that in this way he showed more real valor than if he had had six pairs of proper legs. He said to himself, "'What a goose I am! As if my dear godmother would ever have given me anything to hurt me! Here goes!' So, with one of his active leaps, he sprang right into the middle of the cloak, where he squatted down, wrapping his arms tight round his knees, for they shook a little, and his heart beat fast. But there he sat, steady and silent, waiting for what might happen next. Nothing did happen, and he began to think nothing would, and to feel rather disappointed, when he recollected the words he had been told to repeat, abracadabra, dum-dum-dum. He repeated them, laughing all the while, they seemed such nonsense. And then, and then, now, I don't expect anybody to believe what I am going to relate, though a good many wise people have believed a good many sillier things. And as seeing's believing, and I never saw it, I cannot be expected implicitly to believe it myself, except in a sort of way. And yet there is truth in it, for some people. The cloak rose, slowly and steadily, at first only a few inches, then gradually higher and higher, till it nearly touched the skylight. Prince Dolor's head actually bumped against the glass, or would have done so had he not crouched down, crying, "'Oh, please, don't hurt me!' in a most melancholy voice. Then he suddenly remembered his godmother's express command, "'Open the skylight!' 
Regaining his courage at once, without a moment's delay, he lifted up his head and began searching for the bolt. The cloak, meanwhile, remaining perfectly still, balanced in the air. But the minute the window was opened, out it sailed, right out into the clear, fresh air, with nothing between it and the cloudless blue. Prince Dolor had never felt any such delicious sensation before. I can understand it. Cannot you? Did you never think, in watching the rooks going home singly or in pairs, soaring their way across the calm evening sky, till they vanish like black dots in the misty gray, how pleasant it must feel to be up there, quite out of the noise and din of the world, able to hear and see everything down below, yet troubled by nothing and teased by no one, all alone but perfectly content. Something like this was the happiness of the little lame prince when he got out of Hopeless Tower, and found himself for the first time in the pure open air, with the sky above him and the earth below. True, there was nothing but earth and sky, no houses, no trees, no rivers, mountains, seas, not a beast on the ground or a bird in the air. But to him even the level plain looked beautiful. And then there was the glorious arch of the sky, with a little young moon sitting in the west like a baby queen. And the evening breeze was so sweet and fresh, it kissed him like his godmother's kisses, and by and by a few stars came out, first two or three, then quantities, quantities so that when he began to count them he was utterly bewildered. By this time, however, the cool breeze had become cold. The mist gathered, and as he had, as he said, no outdoor clothes, the poor Prince Dolor was not very comfortable. The dews fell damp on his curls. He began to shiver. "'Perhaps I had better go home,' thought he. "'But how?' For in his excitement the other words which his godmother had told him to use had slipped his memory. They were only a little different from the first, but in that slight difference all the importance lay. As he repeated his abracadabra, trying ever so many other syllables after it, the cloak only went faster and faster, skimming on through the dusky, empty air." the poor little prince began to feel frightened. What if his wonderful traveling cloak should keep on thus traveling, perhaps to the world's end, carrying with it a poor, tired, hungry boy, who, after all, was beginning to think there was something very pleasant in supper and bed? "'Dear Godmother,' he cried pitifully, "'do help me. Tell me just this once, and I'll never forget again.' Instantly the words came rushing into his head, "'Abracadabra, tum-tum-tee!' "'Was that it?' "'Ah, yes, for the cloak began to turn slowly. "'He repeated the charm again, more distinctly and firmly, "'when it gave a gentle dip, like a nod of satisfaction, "'and immediately started back, as fast as ever, "'in the direction of the tower. "'He reached the skylight, which he found exactly as he had left it, "'and slipped in, cloak and all, as easily as he had got out. He had scarcely reached the floor and was still sitting in the middle of his traveling cloak, like a frog on a water-lily leaf, as his godmother had expressed it, when he heard his nurse's voice outside. "'Bless us! What has become of your royal highness all this time? To sit stupidly here at the window till it is quite dark, and leave the skylight open, too! Prince, what can you be thinking of? You are the silliest boy I ever knew!' "'Am I?' said he absently and never heeding her crossness, for his only anxiety was lest she might find out anything. 
she would have been a very clever person to have done so. The instant Prince Dolor got off it, the cloak folded itself up into the tiniest possible parcel, tied all its own knots, and rolled itself of its own accord into the farthest and darkest corner of the room. If the nurse had seen it, which she didn't, she would have taken it for a mere bundle of rubbish not worth noticing. Shutting the skylight with an angry bang, she brought in the supper and lit the candles with her usual unhappy expression of countenance. But Prince Dolor hardly saw it. He only saw, hid in the corner where nobody else would see it, his wonderful traveling cloak. And though his supper was not particularly nice, he ate it heartily, scarcely hearing a word of his nurse's grumbling, which tonight seemed to have taken the place of her sullen silence. Poor woman! he thought, when he paused a minute to listen and look at her with those quiet, happy eyes so like his mother's. Poor woman! She hasn't got a traveling cloak. And when he was left alone at last, and crept into his little bed, where he lay awake a good while, watching what he called his sky-garden, all planted with stars like flowers, his chief thought was, I must be up very early to-morrow morning, and get my lessons done, and then I'll go traveling all over the world with my beautiful cloak. So next day he opened his eyes with the sun, and went with a good heart to his lessons. They had hitherto been the chief amusement of his dull life. Now, I am afraid, he found them also a little dull. But he tried to be good. I don't say Prince Dolor always was good, but he generally tried to be. And when his mind went wandering after the dark, dusty corner where lay his precious treasure, he resolutely called it back again. For, he said, how ashamed my godmother would be of me if I grew up a stupid boy. But the instant lessons were done, and he was alone in the empty room, he crept across the floor, undid the shabby little bundle, his fingers trembling with eagerness, climbed on the chair, and thence to the table, so as to unbuy the skylight. He forgot nothing now said his magic charm, and was away out of the window, as children say, in a few minutes less than no time. Nobody missed him. He was accustomed to sit so quietly always that his nurse, though only in the next room, perceived no difference. And besides, she might have gone in and out a dozen times, and it would have been just the same. She never could have found out his absence. For what do you think the clever godmother did? She took a quantity of moonshine, or some equally convenient material, and made an image, which she set on the window-sill reading, or by the table drawing, where it looked so like Prince Dolor that any common observer would never have guessed the deception, and even the boy would have been puzzled to know which was the image and which was himself. And all this while the happy little fellow was away, floating in the air on his magic cloak, and seeing all sorts of wonderful things, or they seemed wonderful to him, who had hitherto seen nothing at all. First there were the flowers that grew on the plain, which, whenever the cloak came near enough, he strained his eyes to look at. They were very tiny, but very beautiful, white saxifrage and yellow lotus, and ground thistles, purple and bright, with many others the names of which I do not know. No more did Prince Dolor, though he tried to find them out by recalling any pictures he had seen of them. But he was too far off, and although it was pleasant enough to admire them as brilliant patches of colors, still he would have liked to examine them all. He was, as a little girl I know once said of a playfellow, a very examining boy. I wonder, he thought, whether I could see better through a pair of glasses 
like those my nurse feeds with, and takes such care of. How I would take care of them, too, if only I had a pair. Immediately he felt something queer and hard fixing itself to the bridge of his nose. It was a pair of the prettiest gold spectacles ever seen, and looking downward, he found that, though ever so high above the ground, he could see every minute blade of grass, every tiny bud and flower, nay, even the insects that walked over them. Thank you, thank you, he cried in a gush of gratitude, to anybody or everybody, but especially to his dear godmother, who he felt sure had given him this new present. He amused himself with it for ever so long, with his chin pressed on the rim of the cloak, gazing down upon the grass, every square foot of which was a mine of wonders. Then, just to rest his eyes, he turned them up to the sky, the blue, bright, empty sky, which he had looked at so often and seen nothing. Now surely there was something, a long, black, wavy line, moving on in the distance, not by chance, as the clouds move, apparently, but deliberately, as if it were alive. He might have seen it before. He almost thought he had, but then he could not tell what it was. Looking at it through his spectacles, he discovered that it really was alive, being a long string of birds, flying one after the other, their wings moving steadily and their heads pointed in one direction, as steadily as if each were a little ship, guided invisibly by an unerring helm. "'They must be the passage-birds flying seaward!' cried the boy, who had read a little about them, and had a great talent for putting two and two together and finding out all he could. "'Oh, how I should like to see them quite close, and to know where they come from and whither they are going! How I wish I knew everything in all the world!' A silly speech, for even an examining little boy to make, because as we grow older, the more we know, the more we find out there is to know and Prince Dolor blushed when he had said it, and hoped nobody had heard him. Apparently somebody had, however, for the cloak gave a sudden bound forward, and presently he found himself high in the air, in the very middle of that band of aerial travellers, who had no magic cloak to travel on, nothing except their wings. Yet there they were, making their fearless way through the sky. Prince Dolor looked at them as one after the other they glided past him, and they looked at him, those pretty swallows with their changing necks and bright eyes, as if wondering to meet in mid-air such an extraordinary sort of bird. "'Oh, I wish I were going with you, you lovely creatures. I'm getting so tired of this dull plain and the dreary and lonely tower. I do so want to see the world. Pretty swallows, dear swallows, tell me what it looks like, the beautiful, wonderful world.' But the swallows flew past him, steadily, slowly pursuing their course, as if inside each little head had been a mariner's compass, to guide them safe over land and sea, direct to the place where they wished to go. The boy looked after them with envy. For a long time he followed them with his eyes, the faint, wavy black line as it floated away, sometimes changing its curves a little, but never deviating from its settled course, till it vanished entirely out of sight. Then he settled himself down in the center of the cloak, "'feeling quite sad and lonely. "'I think I'll go home,' said he, "'and repeated his abracadabra tum tum tea, "'with a rather heavy heart. "'The more he had, the more he wanted, "'and it is not always one can have everything one wants, "'at least at the exact minute one craves for it, "'not even though one is a prince, 
and has a powerful and beneficent godmother. He did not like to vex her by calling for her, and telling her how unhappy he was, in spite of all her goodness. So he just kept his trouble to himself, and went back to his lonely tower, and spent three days in silent melancholy, without even attempting another journey on his traveling cloak. End of chapter 5